Welcome to Life Church today. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you. Can we welcome our Appleton campus, our Germantown campus, Milwaukee campus, online campus? It is always great to have people wherever they're connecting, and, and uh, it's always amazing to me the people that are connecting online, traveling, different campuses pop in or out. So wherever you're joining us today, we're glad to have you. And we're beginning this brand new series uh, called Priceless. So today, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of uh, Philippians. It's in the New Testament, Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to get there in just a minute. And in this series, what I want to do in the next couple of weeks is um, I just want to take some time to talk about things that money can't buy. I was thinking about this the other day. I was trying to buy a gift for somebody who's a friend of mine. I'm just thinking, man, this guy has everything. I don't know what I could get. What, I could, what he doesn't have, I can't afford to pay for. You know, any people like that, right? And then he's too particular that if I get the wrong thing, I'm going to hear about it. And so what, you know, and, and, and I just began, to, my mind was kind of rolling through some stuff. And, and, um, and I was just thinking about this, how many things in this world that we, we especially in a first world nation that we have, we, we can pretty much get a lot of most of what we want. I mean, there, there's some crazy stuff. I, I like to have a, you know, like a, a 67 a Mustang convertible, right? Fully restored. I mean, it's a little bit beyond me right now, unless you have one and just see me after the service. But I'm just saying, like, it's just, but there's just things, it's, it's like we, we are looking for things in this world, and then most of the time in our world in which we live in, we can afford to buy or we have access to buy basically whatever we want. And virtually anything can be delivered to our doorstep today. But there's some things that you can't get anywhere else but only with God. And most of the time, those things typically happen and occur when the saints of the church, that's you, not me, get together, and we begin to worship the Lord. And we begin to, what we would call, go to church. And God shows up in the midst of that. And, and it, it's, so this, this next couple of weeks, what I want to do is I want to talk about these things. I just want to kind of, in the middle of this summer, as we're beginning our summertime, I just kind of want to just, just take some time just to think about this and process this and look at this. And, and I also want to give you some opportunities, too, to experience some of this. Because this is why I think people go to church. I don't think people go to church to check a box. I don't think people go to church to see me. I don't think people go to church to hear this band or that song. I think people are coming to church because they're looking for something that they cannot buy anywhere else. They're looking for answers to questions that they cannot find anywhere else. They're looking to a resolve or for a resolve that just, man, it just doesn't work any other way. And so they're here every single weekend. They're joining online. They're, they're at, a, at, a, at a Life Church campus. They're at different churches of different varieties and, and backgrounds all over this great area, city, nation, the world. And then we're looking for this. So today I want to talk to you about peace. Peace. How do you define peace? When you ask people, uh, it, uh, most people will say peace is kind of the absence of conflict. It's, the, it's that everything is all right in the world. Um, it's tranquility. It's silence. It's solitude. It's quiet. It's peaceful. 
And people are looking for peace. People are looking for peace and, and, and many times escapes and, and, and all of this. And, and the Bible talks a ton about this. Matter of, time, matter of fact, the Bible mentions this theme 80 different times in Scripture. Peace is found in every one of the 39 books of the New Testament. It's mentioned at least one, and one time at least, in every one of the 39 books that comprise the New Testament. And there, there's a key, there's a favorite verse, and it's going to be our, kind of our key verse today. I want to jump in on, and then I'm going to kind of expand from that. But Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. This is the, the Living Bible. I, I like this translation. It says, if you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. For his peace will keep or guard, it depends on what, what version of the Bible you have, your thoughts and your hearts, quiet and at rest, as you trust in Christ Jesus. When you talk about peace, that's really what people are looking for. Whether you're looking at an Old Testament uh, definition, shalom, which is the Hebrew word, which means peace, which talks about wholeness and completeness, or whether you're looking at the Greek, uh, which is kind of a, uh, it's, um, it's an order in the place of chaos. Matter of fact, let me give you a working definition just so we're all kind of on the same place. Peace is the rule of order in a place of chaos. It's the wholeness, it's the completeness, it's the tranquility in the soul that is unaffected by outward circumstances or pressures. I'm going to read that again. Peace is the rule of order in a place of chaos. It's the wholeness or the completeness or the tranquility in the soul that's unaffected by outward circumstances or pressures. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is not the absence of war. Peace is not everybody just getting along. Peace is not everybody doing what everybody else wants to do. Peace is not everybody doing what they think is right in their own eyes. Peace is not tolerance. Peace is not getting my way. Peace is not an agenda. Peace will never be legislated in this world. It will never be amended in this world. It will never be able to, quite frankly, with you and I as human beings, ever be able to achieve outside of Christ. And I'm going to show you that. It's priceless. It's what everybody in the world wants. It's peace. The Gaza Strip, it's peace. And Pittsburgh this weekend, it's peace. It's, 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 what, it's what we are all looking for. It's the, the, the issues that are happening as we turn on the 6 o'clock news or the 5 o'clock news or the morning news or you, 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 you open up your, your iPad or, or your phone and you see what's happening, the, the controversy that's happening on the border and, 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 and parents and kids and immigration issues. And it's just all of this stuff. Everybody just, we want peace. We want kids not to cry and people to be okay and, and, and people not to have to be refugees or, or to immigrate because of, of, of asylum issues. Why can't we all get along and why is this happening and what's going on and what's the answer? It's priceless. If you could buy it, we'd have already purchased it by now. If you could have attained it, we've already attained it by now. If, 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 we could, if we could somehow amend it or legislate it, we would have already done it by now. But it's impossible outside of Christ. Jesus said, even in this world, you're going to have peace, but there's going to be trouble around you. There's going to be chaos around you. There's going to be problems happening around you. Why? Because this world is in chaos. Because once sin entered into the world, this world was never created to handle the weight of sin. 
and it's kind of like it's warped in a way. It's like a, it's like a warped bicycle tire. It's, it's, it's just, it'll get you down the road, but it's not going to be the most efficient. And the chain's going to pop off sometimes, and, and you're going to have to try to bend it back. And, and, but it's just warped. It's got a wobble to it. It's never going to be quite right. But God said, in the middle of that, I will give you peace that passes all understanding. I will give you peace that will rule and guard your heart. I will give you peace that will quiet your soul. I'll give you peace. And that is why I think people are coming to church. They're looking for this peace that's priceless. I, I want to unpack this in, in Philippians chapter 4. I want to read these first seven verses. I just want to kind of walk through this if it's okay. Because this is the answer of how do we get there. I got it, Aaron. You, you sold me. I, I want peace. It's priceless. I get it. It only comes from God. Blah, 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 blah. We're in church. Yeah, 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 yeah. How do I get there? Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, Dear brothers, dear brother Christians. So we're talking to Christ followers here. I love you and long to see you, for you are my joy and my reward, my work, my beloved friends. Stay true to the Lord. Look at verse 2. Now I plead, or I want to plead with those two dear women. Please, please, with the Lord's help, quarrel no more, be friends again. So even inside of church, we see people fight. Amen. Amen. That's good. That's a good time to say amen. The church in Philippi, they were fighting, which means they might be fighting at the church at Life Church. Amen. That's okay. It just means people are people and, and whatever. All right. Good. Okay, good. Because sometimes people go, I'm going to find me a church that doesn't fight. Let me know when you find that place. And you probably don't need to go because then they're going to have problems. Amen. All right, here we go. <laughs> Verse 3. And I ask you, my true teammate, to help these women, for they work side by side with me in telling the good news to others. For they've worked with Clement, too, and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. So these are Christ followers. These are good people. But they're just, there's, just, there's a lack of peace, and there's, there's a conflict, and there's all of this that's going on. What's his antidote? Look at verse 4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Let everyone see that you are unselfish and, and considerate in all that you do. Remember that the Lord is coming soon. So don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs. And don't forget to thank him for the answers. Look at verse 7. If you do this, what? you got to go back to verse 4. 4, 5, and 6 gives the, what's the this that he's referring to. If you will do verses 4, verses 5, verses 6. We're going to unpack that in just a minute. Then you'll experience God's peace. And this peace is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and your hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. So what is this peace? How do I get this peace that Paul's talking about? The, the, the essence and the function of how it works. Well, he says at the beginning of verse 7, if you do this, and so what's this that he's talking about? We'll go back to verse 4. First of all, he says to choose joy. Choose joy. Now, I understand some of this stuff is going to feel very obvious, but I want to kind of unpack it because I think it's simple, but I think we overlook it. Understand, joy is a choice. Happiness is found in the Bible about 41 times, but the word joy is found 242 times. Happiness is a euphoric feeling. It's an emotion. Um, I'm going to go to my favorite restaurant. And I'm going to have my favorite meal. I am happy. But once I eat and I overeat and I overindulge, that happiness will be gone, right? Because the indigestion kicks in and now I've got it. You know what I'm talking about. Now I'm unhappy. See, happiness is here today, gone tomorrow. But joy is something that lasts. Why? Because joy is a fruit of the Spirit. 
Paul speaks to the church in Galatia. In, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Joy. It's a fruit. What does that mean? That means that it's something that when I come into Christ and Christ comes into me, I have the ability to have. I have the ability to produce that in my life. It's not a gift of the Spirit. A gift of the Spirit is, is, is something that God gives you. No strings attached. It's just there. It's for you. You didn't earn it. Uh, uh, salvation is a gift. I didn't earn it. I just received it. I, just like I do a gift. I just received it. Like somebody giving you the keys to a new car. You didn't pay for it. You, you, you didn't earn it. You didn't have to do anything. They just wanted just because. Just 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 because. So here's the key. There's no payment. Everything's paid for. The title's in your name. Everything's in your name. Taxes are paid. It's yours. It's totally yours. That's a gift. But the fruit of the Spirit is something you have to work for. It's an opportunity. It's something that you can have. God gives you the ability to have that because he works in concert with you. But you have to choose it. You want that. And when you choose it, you want that, then you've got to develop that and grow that. Again, it's not a feeling like happiness. Joy is something that I develop, that I grow in my life. It's not the absence of suffering, but it's the presence of the purpose of God. And, and the, excuse me, it's, 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 the, it's, the, um, it's not the absence of suffering, but it's the presence and the purpose of God that we find in it. The Bible says that even in our suffering, even in days that aren't happy, even in days that are where we struggle, that we can find, we can have joy in those trials, we can have joy in those temptations, we can have joy in those struggles, knowing that those things are going to produce this character of Christ in us. So even when the enemy comes in to destroy us, even when there are unhappy days happening around us, we know that when we're in Christ and he's in us, that we can have joy knowing that even the negative things that are happening around us will turn around and be used for our ultimate good. There's a joy in that. See, there, 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 there's a joy that's in that because, again, it's not about my emotion. It's not about my feeling. It's about I have chosen to do this. I have chosen to find joy in this. I have chosen to understand that God's my salvation, and, 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 and he, he's the point, and, and so I'm following him. And so if I'm going to have peace, I've got to choose to have joy in my life, even when I don't feel it. Again, it's not an emotion. Happiness is a feeling. It's an emotion. Joy is not a feeling or an emotion. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit of God. And we have to reframe our mind. We have to reframe our thinking. And we have to transform our thinking to understand, no, I'm going to choose this. The same way I chose Jesus, I'm going to choose to be joyful, even when things are unhappy, even when circumstances aren't great around me. Why? Because I understand this, that God is at work even in these things, that God's still working even when I don't understand, that I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to, I don't, it's not always going to be sunshine and roses. God's still there. So I'm going to choose to be joyful in those moments. And when Paul's writing this, he's not writing this from some posh retreat center. He's not writing this as he's sailing through the Mediterranean. He's writing this as he's in a dungeon cell awaiting trial in Rome. With the stench of, of open sewage around him and being, and be, and being confined into this, to this prison. He's like, in the middle of that, you can be joyful. Is it happy surroundings? No, but I can be joyful. Secondly, we see is to, the pathway to peace is to serve others. It's to serve others. Look at verse 5. Go back to verse 5. He says, let everyone see that you are unselfish and considerate in all that you do. 
What's, what's, un, what's unselfish and considerate? I'm there to serve others. I'm not there for myself. I'm not there for what I can get. I'm not there for what I can gain. I'm not there for, 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 for what gratifies Aaron and for what brings return back to Aaron. Again, serving others is a choice. It's interesting about all these things he says. They're all choices. This, serving others, bringing peace, is how what, what Paul will, uh, not Paul, it will be Luke, that will actually refer to what Jesus said, and it's found in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, when he says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. How does that work? How does that bring about peace? Because it's about serving other people. It's, it's like when, when, when we as a church decided we were going to serve the city of Milwaukee a weekend ago. And we took an entire day to serve the city of Milwaukee. And some food pantries. We served at park cleanups and pickups. We served at the Milwaukee campus. We, we, we served all throughout the city. We served at some adopt-a-block where we were kind of working and doing things in people's homes, and we were serving, and we were done. Uh, we, we, we were tired, and we were spent, but people were joyful. They were happy. They were at peace. Why? Because they'd been serving other people. Because what happens is when an infinite God flows to use a finite creature to touch another finite person, purpose is always created. There's something that happens in that divine thing that it's not about me anymore. And I'm not worried about me. My focus is on someone else. My focus is on blessing someone else. My focus is on helping someone else. And all of a sudden, there's this supernatural transference and activity that happens. When I began to not focus on myself, but I'm considerate of others, and I'm serving other people, and I'm just called to serve, purpose always brings about peace. Because when I know that I'm doing what God's called me to do, I know that I'm in the, in the assignment that he's called me to, then there's peace that God's got this under control. That this isn't my problem, where I'm placed at, where I'm living at, my situation. God knows all of those things, and I've made him aware of all those things. But I know that I am exactly where he's called me to be. Therefore, there's this peace. There's this, this, this peace that I know this is what he's called me to do, and that I'm serving other people. That's how you find peace. Not about serving yourself. The world will say, get more introspective and think more about yourself and, and find a hobby that you like and what do you want to do? And find, No, they're trying to make you find things that make you happy, but happy doesn't last. But serving other people, there is something that happens. Why? Because we're hardwired by the creator as the creation when we are considerate of others and we respond in kindness and, and, and when we're, we're serving one another and we're meeting those needs, all of a sudden purpose begins to happen in our lives and it begins to magnify that in our life and there's this peace that I know that I'm doing exactly what God's called me to do. He goes on in verse 5 to say you need to be, if you want to have peace, you've got to be heavenly minded. Heavenly minded. He says remember that the Lord's coming is near. Again, this is a choice that we can make every day. It's a mindset. Like the great theologian Tim McGraw, you got to live like you're dying. You know what I'm talking about? Getting up every day of your life going, what if this is my last? Not in a morbid way, but what if I've got 24 hours on this planet? What do I do? Understanding that there are things that if I knew I only had 24 hours left, there are certain things I wouldn't worry about. There are certain things I would, because they don't make a difference in the light of eternity. And there's other things I would do. What if I live my life with heaven in mind? 
Not about heaven, some sweet by and by. Not about heaven, oh, I want to go see loved ones or friends that have gone on before. But eternity. Living life in light of eternity. Serving in light of eternity. Doing un- because what happens is that eternity makes the, what I'm dealing with right here and right now very small. Eternity gives me hope that one day, one day the troubles and the struggles of this world will be over with. But it also gives me hope that what I do today for Christ will last. See, not everything I'm going to do on this earth will last, but what I do in the name of Jesus, what I do unto him will last. And so he says, don't forget in all of your going and all of your doing and everything that's going on, make sure that you remember that the coming of the Lord is near. And I would say that to us even so much more today. We forget so much because, again, we live in such a fast-paced, instant society. Man, Jesus is coming back. The trumpet of the Lord can sound and time will be no more. I mean, we may not finish the service today. And the Lord would sound the trumpet. And those who are dead in Christ will rise first. And those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air. And forever shall we be with him. Wow. If I think about it like that, I'm not really wigged out whether or not I got the latest this or that, whether I got the promotion this time or not. I'm not really focused, but why? Because there's bigger fish to fry. There's more important things to do. And I look at my family. Are they ready? I look at my spouse. Are they ready? I look at my friends. Are they ready? I look at my neighbors. Are they ready? Do people know Jesus? And am I living my life in such a way that's pointing to him? See, when we begin to get our mind on those things, All of a sudden, man, the things of this earth grow strangely dim. And the peace of God that passes understanding, that totally blows our circuits, begins to fill our hearts and our minds. Verse 6, he says, don't worry. That's easier said than done. I get that. Don't worry. Again, it's a choice. It's an attitude. And sometimes you have to self-talk your way through this stuff because all of a sudden worry or anxiety will come up and you go, hey, this is worry. I'm going to call it for what it is. I'm not going to do this. And so now I'm going to choose to put my mind on things that are beneficial. I'm going to choose to put my mind. He'll go on in verse number, uh, verse number um, 8, 9, 10, and 11. He'll talk about what are the things you should think about. If you, I don't have time to preach that sermon. That's another message. But on, in that same chapter, chapter 4, if you go down to verse 8, 9, 10, 11, he'll talk about whatever things are pure, whatever things are virtuous, whatever things are, are, are praiseworthy. Think on these things. So when, so when you begin to have these thoughts of worry and anxiety that are coming in, understand it's a choice. Also understand that worry is a sin. Do you know that? And sin is sin. <laughs> we like to put sin on different grades. And, and there's different punitive responses to sin in, in the world in which we live in. I mean, if you worry about something, you're not going to go to jail, right? If you kill somebody, you can go to jail, right? That's kind of what happens. But, but if you worry, you're not. But they're both sins. And sin is sin. And so, and because here's the deal. Worry will destroy you. It will eat you. It will gnaw you. It will take away your future. It will take away your present. It will, it will make you worry and even take away your past. It's worthless because it can't change anything. And we all know that cognitively, but the reason why sometimes we don't have peace is because we choose to worry instead of having peace. We choose to think on things that are the opposite of verses 8, 9, and 10, and 11 of of Philippians chapter 4. Instead of looking to God and trusting in his word, it's going, okay, God, this is on you. I can't tell you how many times in my life I have said, God, this is your problem. And I don't know why more people don't do this. 
See, here's the deal. I believe that God calls all of us. Whether we're called to the marketplace ministry or we're called to the vocational ministry, he's called all of us. And when God called me to Germantown and called me to pastor here, that's no more spiritual or unspiritual than him calling you to work at your company or to work at your job or your place of employment. God opened the door. God gave you the opportunity. God placed you there. You work for this, for this automobile company. You, 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 you work for this corporation. You, you work for this place. You started this business, and it was something that was on your heart and, and that kind of a deal. And so there you are. Or, or, or maybe you were already doing that, and you came to faith in Christ. Well, do you feel like you're supposed to do anything different? No, Pastor, I feel like I'm supposed to be right where I am. Exactly. So you're right where God's called you to be, and all of these things have come together. So where he's brought you and where you're at is, a, is, is of divine design. So that when things aren't going right, I always tell God, God, this is your problem, not mine. I never asked to be here. This is your deal. Remember, God, I wanted to go to Maui, not to Milwaukee. It's a little different. It's funny how when you tell God you'll go someplace like that, you don't ever go, right? Here's my point, though. But there's a peace in that. It's not my problem. The church is not my problem. The people are not my problem. The bills are not my problem. And you go, well, that's crazy. No, because the deal is, that's what his word says. And I'm to cast my cares upon him. I'm to cast my anxieties upon him. I'm to cast my worry upon him. I have a choice in this. I can either worry about it, and it's sinful, and it drags me down, and brings me down, and I'll never be productive. Or I can choose to cast it upon him. Why? Because this was his idea, not mine. This was his plan, not mine. And I'm doing his plan, and I'm so glad I'm doing his plan. But that's where the peace that comes from the purpose of knowing that you're doing what God's called you to do. And that's true whether you're a pastor or whether you're a policeman or whether you work for the post office. I'm just going, I'm going with peas right now, right? Whatever you're a pie maker, whatever it is, man, that's true, but it's your choice. And lastly, he says, pray about everything. Pray about everything. Can't, it's amazing to me sometimes the number of people that go, well, God doesn't care about that. Pray about everything. He says in verse 6, pray about your needs. What are your needs? You need a new car? You need a bigger place to live? You're a young married couple and you're praying for children. You, you need to make some more finance and you want the wife to be stay at home or the husband to be stay at home, one of the parents to be stay at home. So, there's one, so one person's there with the kid, the other person's out. You need an open door. You need a job. You need God to touch your physical body. You need God to show up in your marriage. You need God to show up in your kids' lives. You need God to give you wisdom. You need God to give you favor. Pray about it. Pray about whatever. See, instead of worrying about it, instead of getting anxious about it, instead of talking about it on the phone, instead of pace, putting it on Facebook. Listen, Mark Zuckerberg's not going to answer your, answer your Facebook post. You realize that, right? <laughs> Nobody else is either. They're going to like it, give you a thumbs up, and that's it, and they're going to go on. Pray about it. He says pray about everything. 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 I love how Paul says this. We should pray without ceasing. What does that mean? That means when I begin my day in the morning, I say, Lord, thank you for this day. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. I give him praise. Thank you for this day. Thank you for a strong mind, for a healthy body. Thank you for the... And then I just kind of pray the Lord's Prayer. And I kind of walk through that. And, and when the weather's good, man, I'm out walking and praying because I like to do two things at once. And I'm doing that. And then throughout the entire day, 
I'm just able to say, God, I need your help here. God, could you help me here? Lord, your words is I pray about everything. Lord, I'm really struggling with this. God, keep my mind right on this. God, help me over here. God, let, 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 me, let me have the right attitude right now. God, help me, Lord. I'm just I'm tired. I'm, I'm irritable. Lord, I, I'm hangry. Anybody, right? I, I need a Snickers right now, Lord, and, it's, and I can't get one. And so that's it. The Lord is my witness. I went yesterday. I was done with the meal, and Tammy and I were out. And I said, I want an ice cream cone. Dairy Queen. I just want a Dairy Queen ice cream cone. So I drive to the nearest Dairy Queen, which is several miles away, but it's, no, it's never too far to go for ice cream, and uh, only to get through the drive through window and then for them to tell me that this is Dairy Queen, that the ice cream machine is broken. Then <laughs> why are you even open? <laughs> Just a thought. Anyhow, so then I go, I know there's another one, which is 10 miles in the opposite direction, only to get there to find out it's closed since the last time I was there. Some health food store's coming in. <laughs> I mean, really? Really? And I just, <laughs> Tammy's dying laughing at this point. Pray about everything. Pray about your needs. So I said, Lord, I need, I need a Dairy Queen closer. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so if God's speaking to you about opening a Dairy Queen, that's the will of the Lord, I'm just going to tell you. But it also says pray with thanksgiving. Do you thank God? I, mean, I try. That's what's interesting to me about the Lord's Prayer. It opens with, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, give us our debts. Please not temptation, and deliver us. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And it ends with praise. It's kind of like the alphabet. I have to go through the whole thing to get it, right? That's how I memorized it. It begins and it ends with praise and with thanksgiving. Do you begin and end your day with praise? Do you begin and end your time with the Lord with, 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 with praise, with thanksgiving? God, thank you. Thank you that I can walk. Thank you I can talk. Thank you that I'm healthy. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for my car. Thank you for my job. Thank you for... Thank you. Again, it's a choice. You can gripe about everything. You can complain about everything. You can keep everything inside. Or as Paul says, you can pray about everything. All of your needs and all of your thanksgiving. Look back at verse 7 again. For if you do this, you will experience God's peace. If you choose joy, if you serve others, if you're heavenly minded, if you choose not to worry, and if you pray about everything, you will experience God's peace. The end of verse 7 says, His peace will keep your thoughts and your hearts quiet as you rest and as you trust in Christ Jesus. The peace of God will keep your thoughts. That's your mind. You want to know how to keep peace of mind? Follow those things he just said to do there. To pray about everything. Not to worry. To be heavenly minded. To serve others and to choose joy. That's how to have peace of mind. That's what he says it'll do. And the peace of God will keep your heart. What's that? That's the seed of your emotions. That's the anxieties that you deal with. And trust me, when, when the enemy of my soul and your soul comes in like a flood trying to stir this up in me, I go back to his word and I go, God, you said in your word, and I mean, I quote it right there. This is what Moses does in the Old Testament. If I choose joy, and I have, and if I serve others, and I am, and if I'm heavenly minded, and I am, and if I choose not to worry, and I don't, and, and, and if I pray about everything, and I do, then I'm going to have this, this, this peace of mind and peace of heart. And right now it doesn't feel like that. And it's amazing how, verse 7 says, that will guard or umpire. It will rule your heart. It's exactly what happens. 
Your mind and your emotions will be what? He says it right there. will be quiet and at rest. That's priceless. You, you can't pay for that. You, you, you can't go to Walgreens and get that. Amazon won't deliver that to your door. How do you do this? As you trust. Remember, it's your choice. Everything we're talking about today, it's your choice. Oh, you can be in Jesus, and you can go be on your way to heaven and be very unpeaceful because you've chosen not to, to, to develop the fruit of joy in your life, and you've chosen not to serve others, and you've chosen to worry, and you've chosen. How do you know this, Aaron? Because Paul's speaking to Christians. Remember, that's how he starts it in verse 1. And he's talking about a couple of ladies who aren't experiencing this. And he says, come on, guys, let's get around them. Let's help them to experience this. This is not what God designed for us. This is not what he desired for us. Yeah, there's going to be problems. Yeah, there's going to be things beyond our control. Yeah, there's going to be suffering. But in the middle of that, there will be peace. There will be quiet and rest, peace of mind and peace for our hearts. But we have to choose as you trust, he says, to put your trust in Jesus. It's an active tense verb. I've got to choose to trust in him and Jesus. I don't choose to trust in my bank account. I don't choose to trust in the church. I don't choose to trust in pastor so-and-so. I don't choose to trust in anything but Jesus. He's the object of my hope. He's the object of my salvation. Peace. In 1871, there was the Great Chicago Fire. 300 people died. Over 100,000 people were left homeless. And one of the heroes was an attorney named Horatio Gates Spafford. He lost a lot of real estate in the fire. He had a son that died. He was known as a devout Christian. He was known for his generosity and service. And he endured pain during that season, professionally and personally. Two years later, in 1873, in the fall, he and his wife, Anne, had decide, Anna, had decided to, to go to England because uh, D.L. Moody, the great evangelist from Chicago, was going to be doing crusades in, in England. And they were going to join him. And then they were going to go on as a family, and they were going to to, uh, to uh, be and just kind of tour Europe for a while and then come on back to the U.S. As they were making plans, uh, there were some business matters that came up urgently, and so uh, Anna and, and uh, Horatio decided that uh, Anna would take their four daughters and would go ahead, and then Horatio would just come right behind them. And on that voyage with Anna and the four daughters, tragedy struck. And off the coast of Newfoundland, Newfoundland, their ship collided with an English sailing vessel. And within 20 minutes, the ship sunk. There were 47 survivors. There were 226 that died. Anna Spafford, Horatio's wife, was one of the survivors. But all four of their daughters died. She sent a telegram to her husband back in Chicago that simply read, Saved Alone. So this grieving father, who's lost all of his kids at this point in time, immediately set sail for England to join his grief-stricken wife, Anna. And as he's on that ship by himself, when he passes over the waters off the coast of Newfoundland, he goes to the railing of the ship. 
in the approximate location where the other ship had gone down just weeks before, where his daughters had drowned and lost their lives. And he penned these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Only God can give peace that passes understanding like that. Only God can give joy that lasts through the night like that. Only God can keep our hearts and and our minds. And in that moment, only God can give peace that is so priceless, such as that, that he could pen the words of that great hymn, It is well with my soul. Peace that is priceless. Father, I just thank you today. I thank you, Lord, for your grace and for your mercy that we don't deserve. I thank you, Lord, for the joy that we have in you. I thank you, Lord, that we can cast our cares upon you and we don't have to walk with anxiety and with worry. I thank you, Lord, that we've not been called to serve ourselves, but that we serve others. And in doing so, Lord, we glorify you. I I thank you, Lord, that you've given us, Lord, the ability to do so. In you, we live and we move and we have our being. Father, I just thank you. And I give you praise. And I pray, Lord, that you would let us walk in your perfect peace. Let us choose these things. Let us choose, Lord, to understand that peace is not the absence of conflict, but rather it is the presence of you in the midst of the storm, knowing that you are working all of these things out for our good. In Jesus' name we pray.